0: All right, well, hey, I'm, I'm Brian. If we've been studying the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, so if you have a Bible or, or a Bible app, you can turn with me there. And today we are we're in Mark chapter 10 for the second time. And it's, man, I think it's except for maybe week number one, week number one at the very beginning of the year, we covered chapter one, verse one, if you were here for that. That was the, that was the only verse we covered that, that week as we introed uh, the, our journey through the gospel of Mark this one is 13, 14, 15. It's four verses. This is four verses. This might be the second shortest besides week number one. So we can really kind of just dwell on some verses today. A couple weeks ago, we st- I think we covered like 21 verses. So sometimes we're like trying to fly through the text. We're trying to go through every verse in the Gospel of Mark. And so today, we're in this little section of Scripture where Jesus talks about how to come To him? How do I I come to God? And Jesus is going to give the answer. As you can tell from the title, you come to God like a little child. So let's read the text and then let's just spend some time this morning unpacking it together. Mark chapter 10. We're going to read out of the ESV today. It says, And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, the parents. I want to point out just something about this, first of all. We're going to to look at what this means, what Jesus meant by this. But I think it's important to focus in on this word indignant for a second. The Greek word for indignant, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it, but the Greek word for indignant is the only time that it's applied to Jesus in all four Gospels. This is the only time in all four Gospels where the Bible says that Jesus was indignant. So indignant isn't just like a little bit upset, it's like beyond upset. This is the only time Jesus was indignant. It wasn't with the Pharisees. It wasn't with Satan. It was with his disciples. It was with his closest followers because they were refusing to let the children come to him. I think that Jesus understood that there were a couple things wrong here. First of all, if, if if you haven't been around for a while, maybe you didn't understand what we've learned throughout the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus loved the, the, the less than. Jesus loved the pariahs of society. Jesus loved the, the people who felt like they were on the fringe. And so in Jesus' day, women were on the fringe. We've, we've looked at some of the things Jesus has said to women to show them that he loves them and he recognizes that they're created in the image of God. But the other group is the Children, children, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that children in Jewish culture and ancient culture in general, like children were not viewed the way we view children in America today. In America today, we view kids, and we're like, oh, we love our kids. We, we love our, well, at least the women love the kids. My, my daughter, I have two, two kids. My daughter is just like, she just loves little kids. My son is, he's a boy, so he's, he's 20 years old. He still doesn't get it. He doesn't, and, and the Jews were more like my son than my daughter 2,000 years ago. They didn't really see value in children. Children, I mean, if you think about it, the child mortality rate was so high back then that you didn't even know if children were going to be around still. You don't even know how many of your kids would still be around in 15 or 20 years when they can actually finally start contributing. No offense, kids. So in ancient culture, they didn't look at kids the way we look at kids. I mean, we, I think the way we do it is better, by the way, but we love our children. We, we value our children. We we have a different perspective on kids than, than Jewish, the Jewish culture. It's not just about the Jewish culture, just ancient culture in general. They just didn't, kids were kind of like a, a little bit of a drain. That's how kids were viewed in Jewish culture. And we can see it in, in the disciples, in their perspective. The these parents are bringing their kids to, bless, to be blessed by Jesus. And the, and the disciples are like, get away. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's not interested in you guys. Who do you think you are that Jesus would spend time with you, that you would have enough value? And so we see something, again, it's, it's sometimes when we read Scripture, we don't, we're reading it through the lens of American culture, and so we miss so much of this. And I, I think if, if, you, if you don't understand how the Jews saw children, then you can't really appreciate what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing here was shocking. Actually, a Jewish Jewish observer 2,000 years ago would have agreed with the disciples, not with Jesus. They would have been confused that Jesus would get indignant at what the disciples were saying. They would have said, yeah, the disciples are right here. Not Jesus, so Jesus is doing something unexpected as he often did. He's doing something completely unexpected when he's indignant with his disciples and then on top of that he says, let the children come. And so we're gonna study today what, why. What, is it, what does it mean to receive Jesus like a child? And by the way, if you noticed in the Gospel of Mark, it talks about the kingdom. Let's go back to that. I, I need to point this out. It says um, the kingdom of God, but if you read the Matthew passage, it says the kingdom of heaven, just a little nugget for you in case you're wondering. The reason Matthew says the kingdom of heaven and Mark says the kingdom of God is because Mark was written to Gentiles and Matthew was written to Jews. And the Jewish people didn't, didn't out of reverence for God, they wouldn't use the word God And so they called it the kingdom of heaven. so in Matthew, Matthew's thinking about his readers, the the Jews, and so he's trying to be respectful, and he calls it the kingdom of heaven. But for Mark, the Gentiles don't have that kind of sensitivity to the word, so he calls it the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. Whenever you see kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, it's the same thing. And the irony here is what Jesus says here is that not only should they not hinder the children, but he's even going further. He's saying, actually, the only people who get to enter the kingdom of heaven are people who come like a child. Those are the only ones. Not just, not just you should let them in too. What he's saying is, no, they're the only ones. Now, not just children, but just there's something about children. There's something about the childlike approach that makes them the only ones that are qualified to enter the kingdom of God. And so we're, we're going to ask that question today. Well, what is that then? What is that quality in children that makes them the only ones that are able to receive the kingdom? What is it about kids that's so special? And I remember we, had, we actually had this verse up on our wall. This is one of those verses up on the wall at our home growing up. So I know this verse. I think it was a King James version of it. But I know this verse really well. I've, this is one that I memorized as a young child because this is the one that I saw in my home. And I'll be honest, when I, when I, as a, young per- as a young person, even in high school, I didn't really know exactly what that meant. I just knew that you had to be like a child. If you don't enter like a child, then you won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. And and I, I think there are two things that most people think about, and I did too when I was young. Two things that most people think about when they think about what it might mean. And number one is they might think that you have to be innocent, but that's wrong, because children aren't innocent. They're just not. I mean, according to the Bible, children aren't innocent. Now, there's a certain amount of innocence. We should protect our children. We should love our children. But the Bible says that we're all born sinful. The Bible says that we're all born broken. So it's not, it's not that you have to approach him and be innocent. So if you're here today and you're like, oh, great. Well, I blew it then because I definitely, I've done some things in my life that may, that I wonder if this is what Jesus is saying. I've done some things in my life that maybe disqualify me from entering. I want you to know that's not what it means. It's not about being innocent. The second thing, I, the second misconception. This might even be the bigger one for me. I think this was even the bigger one. Is is ignorant? Yeah, like you have to be ignorant. Like you have to check your brain at the door if you want to be a Christian. Don't, you know, it's kind of like some people think this is how you have to come to Jesus. Like it's blah 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 blah. Like I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to bring, I'm not going to bring any objections. I'm I'm gonna check my brain at the door. That's not what Jesus is talking about either. He's not saying you have to be ignorant. He's not saying you have to be like super simple-minded. Don't ask your questions. Jesus loves your questions. He's not afraid. There's no question that you can ask that he's afraid of. You know, it's in some, some churches, some non-Christian churches, they say here's a list of books you can't read. You can't read these because we don't we don't want we don't want the que- we don't want you to be exposed to those kinds of questions, there's no such list for the kingdom of God. God's not afraid. He, the truth is on his side. He's not afraid. There's no science textbook. There's no philosophy textbook that you can't read. My son right now, 20 years old, he's reading all kinds of interesting books. One of the books, I can't remember what it's called, but it's written by like a it's a, written by a famous atheist. He's like, Dad, I'm, I'm reading this book right now. And you know, I thought about this. My, my, for a split second, I thought, "Ooh, man, I don't know if you should be reading that book." Like, it's a really smart atheist who's going to like plant all these questions in your mind. And then I thought, you know what? God, God's word can handle itself. And it's interesting because he's even said to me, he's like, "I, I, I mean, I'm three quarters of the way through it, and this guy is a moron." (laughs) You know? Like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You don't have to check your brain at the door to come to God. Like, you can bring your questions. The smartest human being that I know, a good friend of mine, um, he's got his PhD in mathematics from Johns Hopkins University, is a devout follower of Jesus. He loves Jesus. You don't have to check your brain at the door. He didn't, and you don't have to either. That's not what it means. When Jesus says that you have to receive him like a child, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you have to be innocent because none of us is. It doesn't mean you have to be ignorant, although some of us might be, but you don't have to be. So what does it mean? That's what we're going to look at today. You can see our list on the left. It means these three things. Number one, I think it means that you need to be unpretentious. That's how children are. They're unpretentious, not given to putting on airs. Some of you might say, what is unpretentious? What does that mean? It's actually kind of a pretentious word. It's a kind of a pretentious state. Pretentious means, it's, the word's in there, Pretend. Like you're pretending to be something you're not. That's what pretentious means. Is If you're a pretentious person, you're, you're faking it. You're putting on airs. You're, you're pretending to be somebody that you're really not. You're putting on a mask. You're wearing a mask. And church, a lot of times churches are like that. you just got people that come around and they're just super fake. They're super fake. But if you really knew what they were like, then you probably wouldn't want to hang out with them. But think about this. This isn't how children are at all. I mean, children, it's sometimes almost embarrassing. And by the way, when Jesus is talking about children here, he's not, not talking about teenagers. I think I should probably say that right now. He's not saying come to God like a teenager. Because think about it. What did Jesus do? If you go back to the text, Jesus took the child up in his arms. You don't, you don't take a teenager up in your arms. You don't pick up a teenager. That'd be really weird and awkward and inappropriate. Jesus wouldn't have done that. So when it says, another, another uh, translation says actually little children, it was infants or toddlers at the most. This is who the parents are bringing. They're bringing their infants and toddlers to Jesus. And Jesus is taking them into his arms and blessing them. So this is what I want you to have in your mind is, is a little child. I want you to have a little child in your mind. Little children are unpretentious. Little children do not, they don't pretend to be someone they're not. Little children scream inappropriately. We as adults hopefully have learned not to do that. Now, you might feel like screaming, but hopefully you're not going to do that because you're going to at least pretend not to want to scream. That's called being pretentious. Sometimes a little pretense is okay in public. But children just aren't like that. Children, what do they do? They, you know, I poop my pants. Like, You're going to hear that from a two-year-old. You're not going to hear that from a 20-year-old. Mark, can I say poop my pants up here? I just did it twice now, okay. This is how kids are. This is what we love about kids. And this is, I think this is one of the things that Jesus has in mind as they come to him. In fact, let's go back to the text. It says, and the disciples rebuked the parents. Think about what the disciples were doing. They were being pretentious. They were pretending to be the gatekeepers. They were pretending, they were, they were like, I mean, Jesus didn't put them in charge of this. Jesus never put them up to this. Jesus didn't say, hey, you stand guard and don't let any children in here. No, they, they, they like completely were missing the point. They were, they were, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this. One of the biggest things I've noticed as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark is just how dumb the disciples were. And yet Jesus still loved them and was teaching them. They, they, they look so foolish, which, by the way, is one of the reasons I really trust God's word, is because the disciples did not make themselves look good. So we can see there's some authenticity here. Peter, this, this, the Gospel of Mark, if you were here at the beginning, the Gospel of Mark was probably, is coming from Peter, actually. Mark was getting his information most likely from Peter, and Peter doesn't even make himself look good in this. So here the disciples are, they're rebuking the children because they, missed, they were missing it. They were not understanding it. But they're pretending to be the gatekeepers. And Jesus was like, quit it. Let them come to me. In fact, you should be like them, is essentially what Jesus was saying. Number two, children are powerless. Sorry, wait, before we do that, I got to go on to Matthew 11. I, I want to show you this as an example, by the way, of pretense. This is so interesting. Compare these two prayers. From Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, this is Jesus' prayer. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That's Jesus' prayer. God, Father, Father in heaven, I thank you that, that you've revealed your truth to little children. But compare that to the prayer from Jesus' parable of a Pharisee in Luke 18:11 Here's the Pharisee's prayer. He's standing off there by himself. Pharisees were like the religious elite. And he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I love that prayer. It's so funny, but I'd never really noticed how interest how similar the two prayers are. They start out the same way. Jesus is saying, "I thank you, Father, that you've revealed your truth to little children." And the Pharisee, the pretentious religious person, is saying, I thank you that I'm not like that loser. And Jesus is saying, we need to have hearts of little children when we come to him, rather than pretending to be something that we're not, rather than pretending to be perfect because nobody is. So number one, you have to stop pretending. All right, now we're ready for number two. Children are powerless, completely dependent on the grown-ups. Around them. I mean, think about that. This is how, this this to me is is how children, this is one of the most defining features of a child. If if you've ever checked out some of our family resources at pursuegod.org, we have marriage and parenting resources. Our our fundamental principle of parenting that we teach is, is that parents need to transfer ownership of their kids' lives from. From, that, from parent to child over the course of 18 years. Let me say that again, because this is a little bonus moment, by the way, for parents. Here's your job, parents. Your job is to transfer ownership of your kid's life from you, you own their life when they're little, to them by the time they're 18. That's what you're doing. You tra- a lot of parents struggle with that. A lot of parents try to control, 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 and you're never, get, you're ne- you're never letting out the rope. You're never letting them make, make mistakes you're never never letting them make their own choices but at some point we tell parents this all the time we're like at some point you're gonna have to let them make some choices and what happens is if you do it if you do it too soon if you do it like all at once whether at 12 or at 18 like it's gonna go bad it's better for them to make some choices even make some mistakes while they're still in the home and you can still coach them through that so they've got a few years of your coaching so that when you do kick them out of the house and you should kick them out of the house. When you, do get kick, when you do say it's time for you to go, you know, fly away, little birdie, fly away. That they're like somewhat prepared. They can own their lives. It's transferring ownership. But, but you see what we're saying is when they're zero and one and two, you have to do so much for them because they're powerless. You have to feed them you have to change their diapers. You, they're so. They're, if you don't, oh, I remember when our our daughter, our firstborn, when we took her home from the hospital, we're like, "Are you serious? You're going to just let us take this person home? Do you know? Do you know who we are? Have you vetted us? Like, we don't know what we're doing." I remember thinking that, like, we are completely clueless. But we. But what we did know is that we we had to. There were so many things that we had to figure out that we had to own for our children as they were infants. They were totally worthless to us. Like in the sense sense of like contributing to the home. They They were powerless. We had to do all this stuff for them. Remember, Jesus is holding an infant in his arms and he says, you've got to come to the kingdom like this. So many people think that we come, we come to God and we say, all right, here, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, here's what I got, here's what I got. I'm gonna throw all this stuff, I've got all this stuff, all this righteousness, I've got all this stuff to offer, I'm gonna put this on the table for you, here you go. Some people, some churches even teach this, that, that we're saved by grace after all we can do. That, that we, we work, we do everything we can do, we try to check all the boxes, we try to be a good person, whatever, We pull all that stuff out of our pockets. We put it on the table. And then Jesus looks and he says, you did pretty good, but here, let me throw in, we need another 20 here. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we come, we reach into our pockets, and we got nothing. We have empty pockets. We have nothing to offer, exactly 0% to offer. We are powerless. In fact, Paul said it like this, that Abraham when he was as good as dead. Abraham was like a hundred years old when he had the child of promise. Just to prove that it was God's work and not Abraham's work. And that's the picture of faith, is that we are powerless, 100% powerless, unable to bring anything to the table. Jesus is saying that's the only person who can come into the kingdom of heaven. I know that sounds really weird for people who maybe grew up in a religious, in a religious household or religious church that says, I'm, we're working really hard to bring, to bring what we can to the table. I'm just telling you, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you have to be completely dependent upon God. If you think you're going to get there on your merit, you're not ready for the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus means. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 1. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the weak things, sorry, instead God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise, and he chose things that are powerless and weak to shame those who are powerful. It's interesting, whenever, if you read this, it's it's helpful to remember that Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, which was a, Messed up church, by the way. It was a messed up church. Just read 1 Corinthians and you'll see how messed up they were. But he's writing this, and I, I always wonder if Paul didn't have maybe the original disciples in mind when he's writing this. Because like, Paul was a Pharisee. He's, the, he's one of the only early followers of Jesus who, who, was a, who came out of Phariseeism. You know, like he was the elite. He did think he was all that. And then he met Jesus, and he realized that he wasn't. So Paul learned this lesson, but I think the disciples learned the lesson too because the disciples were fishermen and tax collectors. They were, like the, they were like the bottom of the barrel. And Paul's saying, like, don't you remember God chose all of us? And he's including himself now. He chose the weak things to shame the strong. This is just how God works. So if you're not ready to come to God as powerless, recognizing you're powerless, Paul did that because God, God actually struck him blind for three days to show that he had no power. And finally Paul was like, all right, all right, I get it, you win. And it changed Paul's heart. He was this guy that had all this arrogance, this spiritual arrogance, and then he met Jesus and he, and he released all of that. And this is the only way that we can come. We have to be powerless. And there's one more thing in here, one more one more word that, that I think Jesus is speaking to, and, and I'm, we're just calling it, you have to be a receiver. Children are receivers, not contributors. I mean, infants are receivers, right? When our, I mentioned already, when Kenzie was, was like nine months old, like she was a total slacker, just a total taker. All she did was take. She just was a taker. AJ was, was worse. Our son was even worse. Just a ta- He ate even more. He was such a taker. That's how children are. Children are receivers. They're not contributors. I want to go back to that passage. I want to show you this word, because maybe you didn't notice the word before, but I think it's really interesting. He said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. Do you ever notice that word, receive? He didn't say, whoever doesn't go after the kingdom of God like a child, he doesn't say, whoever, whoever doesn't pers- really pursue God like a child. No, he uses a, a much more appropriate word. He says, whoever doesn't receive it. What do you receive? You receive a gift. You don't receive a weight. You don't receive it like something you've worked hard for to earn. You receive a gift. He says, you must just be willing to receive what I want to give you. I mean, that's why the parents were bringing the kids. They were like, we want you to bless our children. And, and he wanted to, and he did, by the way, at the end. He did, he blessed them. He, he just gave them this blessing that they didn't earn at all. They didn't do anything for it. Children are receivers. And I want, I want to just end with a couple of verses that I think communicate this point so well. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what we were by nature. We were children of wrath. We're not all, some people teach that every one of us is a child of God. No, no. The Bible doesn't anywhere in there say that you're, you're by nature a child of God. The Bible says that you become a child of God when you receive the kingdom. What we are by nature is children of wrath. John said it like this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So how does all this stuff happen? It happens when we receive the gift. Where every one of us is born as a child of wrath, but some of us become children of God. Some of us receive the kingdom and become children of God. And those are the ones who recognize that they're, they're not perfect. They stop pretending to be. They recognize that they're powerless and, and have empty pockets, have literally nothing to offer, nothing to put on the table. And then they just simply receive it. They receive the gift. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 and he says that we're saved by grace through faith and it is a gift of God so that no one can boast about it. And so if you're here today and, and maybe you say, yeah, I don't know if I've ever done that. I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually just received the gift. Maybe some of you are here today saying, I've been trying to work for it. I've been trying to become a better person and work for, work for my salvation, Work for my standing with God. Work for entrance into heaven. I want you to know you can't work for it. And as long as you try to work for it, you're not gonna be able to receive it. Coming to him like a child means you say, I get it, it's all you. It's none of me, and I receive it. And if you're here today and you wanna receive that, I wanna invite you to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Maybe today you, you, you would say, I am, I am that person who hasn't really come to God like a child. I've been trying to come to him like an adult. I've been trying to kind of pull my own weight. And today, if, you're just stop, if you just want to stop struggling, then I invite you to pray this prayer just in your heart right now. This is just between you and God. Just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I recognize you did all the work And I can do none of it. Today I come to you like a child. Today I just receive your gift. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for the forgiveness that you paid for. And today I come to you like a child. Powerless, unpretentious, And I receive the kingdom in Jesus' name, amen.